So John chapter 15, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. I'll be preaching from the ESV, um, and so would encourage you to follow along. I'm going to read this for us. I'm going to then pray and ask for God's help, and then we will look at this passage. So John 15, 1 through 11, would you hear now the word of God? I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so, Prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. What a passage before us, God. What a passage that can only be understood by the power of your spirit at work in and through your word. There's so much to learn here. There's so much instruction. There's so much encouragement Father, we we ask that you would work in and through this time that we have together, that you would bring conviction where needed, that you would bring encouragement for those who walked in heavy laden. I pray that you would draw sinners to yourself, that you would help us to grow in Christ's likeness, that we would learn what it is to abide in Christ, that our joy may be found. So we ask, God, that you would use this time for our good and your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of this message is The Joy of Abiding in Christ. Very simple, a very clear passage. And I mean, there's probably a hundred different ways that you could preach this text. Uh, Could have broken it up in many different ways, but really what I want us to see today is that there is joy to be found in abiding in Christ. See, as people, we search for joy in so many places. Uh, People are groping and grasping for anything that will bring them any type of temporal pleasement. Uh, We want to be happy. We want to be joyful. We want to enjoy the moments that we are in. 
And unfortunately, what happens is we often cling to, we abide in things that are not meant to provide sustainable joy. And those things leave us heartbroken. They leave us discouraged. Relationships, finances, success. I mean, all of these things that we try to find our joy in will ultimately leave us empty if we are not rooted in Christ and Christ alone. So this passage teaches that a deep and personal relationship with Christ is the only way to true, lasting joy. True, lasting joy. So I've broken this passage down into four categories. We'll see four things unfold here as we look at this text. First, Jesus provides a picture. Then he shows us the process. Then he tells us of a promise. And then he provides the purpose. So we see the picture, the process, the promise, and the purpose. Now remember, we are still Thursday night. We're we're still here with the disciples and Jesus Thursday night before he's heading to the cross. He's about to die. He's preparing his disciples for what is ahead for them. And so first we get this picture here in verse 15. Now, if you don't know, if this is your first time in a church gathering, if you're new to Christianity, let me just encourage you. Jesus Christ was the greatest preacher, teacher to ever live. Okay, Greatest teacher that has ever been here, that has ever walked on this earth. And he often used parables, word pictures, illustrations to communicate what he was trying to get across. And that's exactly what he is doing here. Look at verse 15, or verse 1, excuse me, in chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So here he provides a a very prevalent word picture that would have been a connection for the people in his day. Uh, See, uh, wine and vine dressing and vineyards was a very common uh, economy of the day. Uh, There were uh, vineyards everywhere. Uh, Many people uh, gained their economical well-being by uh, being uh, tending to a vineyard. Uh, Many people drank wine for various reasons. And first, Jesus calls himself the true vine. Uh, This word true here means he's the genuine, the real, the the one and only vine. This is the seventh I am statement. We've, We've seen these unfold in the Gospel of John. And this is obviously another clear claim to deity here, but Uh, This statement is also very important in redemptive history. Okay, so if you look at the grand narrative of the scripture of uh, biblical theology of redemptive history here, this is very important. Hence why I believe it's placed here right before Jesus heads to the cross. So in the Old Testament, 
A vine is a common symbol for God's covenant people, Israel. Often used many times, many ways. A couple of examples of this would be in Psalms 88. And the psalmist writes, You brought a vine, speaking of Israel here, out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. So he's speaking here of the Exodus, right? Drove out Israel, uh, referring to Israel as this vine. But what happened? Israel rebelled against God. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah writes in chapter 2, verse 21, Yet I planted you, speaking of Israel again, a choice vine. He's saying, I planted you as a vine. I, I wanted you to be this. He says, holy of pure seed. And then here's what happens. How then? How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? So essentially he says, Israel, I set you apart to be my people. I, I set you apart as my covenant people to, to be mine, to, to bless others, to be a blessing. But you rebelled. You turned against me. It says you went after your own way. So with, with this Old Testament historical backdrop that the disciples would have been very familiar with, Jesus provides this illustration to set up his point. He kind of sets it on a T there for him. And his point is this. Israel failed. Israel failed to do what God wanted them to do. Israel failed to be who God called them to be. They failed. Guess what? We fail too. We all have failed. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is that Jesus doesn't. See, Jesus is showing here that he's the one that does not fail. He's the one that accomplishes what Israel failed to do. Jesus Christ is saying here, I am that true vine. I am that true vine that, that accomplishes everything that God the Father intended it to do. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that if these disciples want to be connected to God, then they must be connected to Jesus. It's not genealogy. It's not based upon any of their works. It's not based upon any program that they may do. It's about their faith in Christ. This reality is further communicated by the statement, my father is the vine dresser. I mean, do you see here this connection that Jesus is making? He's saying, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. And what this shows us is that God the Father is intricately involved in our salvation. I mean, he's sovereignly at work in our lives. This means that God the Father works to ensure the spiritual vitality of the vine's fruit. So Christians, because listen, we are the branches. That's what we're going to see here in a moment. 
But God the Father is the vine dresser. He's working. He's making sure that all things are going according to his plan. So what type of work is he doing? So if God the Father is at work, he's the vine dresser here. Jesus is the true vine. We are the branches. What is happening? So verse 2 shows us here the process. Now, let me just give you a heads up. We're going to drop anchor here for a little bit, all right? Because this is a really important part of this text that I want us to, to see. So we're going to spend a little more time here, and we're going to kind of going to set, set up uh, for a moment here. We're going to drill down a little bit. So the process. What does the process involve? Because we see the, the Father, he, he's working, he's doing something. So what's he doing? Well, he's pulling and he's pruning. He's pulling and he's pruning. Another way to say that would be that the Father cuts away the lifeless and he cultivates the living. He cuts away the lifeless, and he cultivates the living. Look at verse 2. Every branch, that's the people, okay? That's the disciples, that's people. The branches in me that does not bear fruit, what does he do? He takes away. So this tells us that the Father takes away or removes every branch that does not does not bear fruit, okay? Uh, if you've ever uh, trimmed a bush or a shrub or you've done every, any type of gardening in your life, I'm not a gardener. We did a garden for the first time this year. Um, I got it already. My wife has done a great job of tending it and pulling things in. The kids go out, they pull beans and different fun things. Um, I got it ready, right? But what I do a lot is I'll trim our bushes. I, I trim our trees. And oftentimes when you get to a bush, a, a shrub, uh, you might think that there's a part that's connected, but it really isn't, right? You might think, you might see, it might look uniform, but you start to get a little more uh, in there and you start to investigate a, a little further and you realize that there is a part of this bush, this shrub, that, that's not actually producing any fruit upon inspection, you realize that what this piece should be doing is not happening. And you remove it. You, you get it out of there. You take it away so the rest of that bush can live, can thrive, can grow. And that's the point that Jesus is making here. He isn't saying that the Father takes away branches, people, Christians that are bearing fruit. He says it's those that are kind of faking the funk, uh, those that aren't doing what is supposed to be taking place. Now, this is also not saying anything about that someone can lose their salvation. Um, we've already seen very clearly Jesus himself. Well, I mean, there's, there's a number of passages that speak of the perseverance of the saints the once saved, truly saved, always saved. That those whom Jesus has called, they, they will, they will persevere. I'll give us two references here in John, John 6, 39. Jesus says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. I'm not going to lose them. I'm going to raise them up on the last day is what Jesus says. 
Also, we see in John chapter 10, 28, he says, I give them his sheep. He's talking about the fold and the sheep. Remember in chapter 10, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. They're not going to perish. He says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. See, there's a a rule in hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is just the word for studying, interpreting the scriptures, the text. We want to interpret it, okay? There's a rule. There's there's eight rules that uh, interpreters go by. One of those rules is the rule of unity. And what that means is this, is that one passage doesn't change how we look at the rest of Scripture. We don't interpret the rest of Scripture based on one passage. We interpret the one passage based on the rest of Scripture. So a lot of people have tried to use this passage to say, oh, that means that, you know, we can lose our salvation. And that's not what's happening here. What's happening here and what is being said is that the Father removes the one, the the people, those that are not bearing fruit because they are not truly connected to the vine. They're not truly connected. What do we call those people in our day? Nominal Christians. Nominal Christians. It's people that profess Christianity verbally. They may do good things. They may be nice They may be kind. They may do all the right outward things. They might show up to church sometimes. They may be involved in activities, but their hearts are not abiding in Christ. They do not have the fruit of true, genuine repentance. They don't bear the fruit of genuine repentance salvation. So the question that this obviously brings up is, what does it mean to bear fruit? Like, what fruit are we looking for here? Because if if that's how we identify true Christians, not by what they do, although we need to do, there's action, there's activity, we we were prepared for good works. There's something that we have to look for to decide and determine, are we truly in Christ? And the clearest example is found in Galatians 5, through 23. The fruits of the Spirit, right? These are the fruits of the Spirit. This is how we tell if we are in Christ, if we have fruits of the Spirit. Paul writes in Galatians 5, through 23. Many of you are probably familiar with this. But the fruit of the Spirit is, come on, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what does he say? Against such things there is no law, meaning that when we show these things, when we have these things, we are showing ourselves to be in Christ. We want to make sure that these are the, this is evidence of our walk with Christ. So that's how it plays out. We look for evidence of these qualities, the things that God has given to us, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So we ask ourselves, right, is my life 
not perfectly, but presently marked by these qualities. We're not looking for perfection here because, listen, none of us reach that. Remember, we're not the true vines. We're just the branches. Jesus is the true vine. He's the one that has, he has perfected each and every quality we see here. What we ask, are they present? Are these qualities present in my life? Question to ask is, do you desire these things, these qualities? Is this what you ask the Lord for? The qualities, the characteristic, the, the fruit of the Spirit? Or are you asking God for the fruit of the world? Are you asking for success, health, wealth, prosperity? Are you asking God, teach me how to be more patient? God, teach me how to be long-suffering. Teach me how to endure hardships. Teach me how to love my neighbor. Teach me, God. Show me, work in my life these things that you have said are are fruits of the Spirit at work in my life. There's so much, and we won't even get into all that, just jargon and nonsense about how the Spirit is shown in our lives. And just stick to the Word. Stick to the Word. Pray for these things. Ask God to to reveal them in you. Reveal where you're rebelling where you're stiff-arming, like, no, I don't want that one. No, I deserve to be impatient with fill-in-the-blank. I deserve, they deserve me to treat them unloving. No, no, no. Lord, teach me. Work in me. Help me. Listen, one of the ways that God has designed for his people Okay, for Christians to, to really test this fruit is in the local church. I say this all the time. That the church is a sanctification factory, right? We're forced to, to be in situations with people that maybe we wouldn't want to be around otherwise. Maybe people that are different than us. They have different interests. They have different hobbies. Maybe they get on our nerves Maybe they sing weird. Maybe they took our seat one Sunday. Whatever the case may be. The church is the place where we get to practice these things. See, we live in a time when it's very easy to navigate the world any way we want to. Right? Yeah. We do. We can navigate this world almost however we want. Think about it. You know, we have autonomy. We have vehicles. We can kind of go where we want. We have choices. I mean, we have infinite choices in this life, in this day and age. I mean, there's choices everywhere. It's only like a few places that just kind of stick to the script. Like, that's like Chick-fil-A, right? They just do chicken. Anywhere else, though, I mean, it's just like, it's like I don't even know how to read the menu. It's like just so many choices. What do you do well? Because you can't do all of it well. That's just side, right? Listen. The point is, is that we have so many choices. We don't like somebody on social media, unfollow them. Right, we can post whatever we want, say whatever we want, and if someone doesn't like us, then we just we, we mute them or whatever the case may be. But, I mean, we, we have this opportunity, if we take it, 
Not a good opportunity. All opportunities aren't good opportunities. But to just live and walk down the path of least resistance in this life. We can create our own little comfort zone. And anyone that infiltrates, we cut them out. Nope, I don't want any accountability. How dare they tell me that I shouldn't this or that God's word says that. That's not what we're called to do. See, the church is where we are forced to exercise the fruits of the spirit. It is where we practice the one another's. How are you going to fulfill the one another's in scripture if you don't have any one another's to fulfill it with? It's where we practice these things. That's why it's important to be an active, I, I put that in all caps, active, underline, underscore, member of a local church. It's important. Students, that's why we offer provisional membership. We, we don't want you to church hop. And there's, listen, this, we're not the only healthy church in this town. We will help you find healthy churches. I usually say that a couple times the, when we get the influx of students uh, the first couple of weeks because, you know, they're trying out churches, which under, understood. But, like, there's, there's healthy churches. You just need to find one. You need to get plugged in. You need to, to stick to it. You need to learn. You need to be known by it, and you need to know them so they can hold you accountable. So, so you can learn. You can be with God's people, gathered under the teaching, the authority of his word, singing songs and spiritual hymns, praying together, thinking of others, doing outreach, working. I mean, there, I mean the list goes on and on and on. We, but just really simply put, we practice the one another's there. We practice the one another's. J.C. Ryle says, just to kind of summarize all of this, because in a word, fruitfulness is the great test of being one of Jesus' disciples. And he that is not fruitful is not a branch of the true vine. So the Father takes away those who are not bearing fruit. They prove to be false converts. They prove to be false disciples, just like Judas. Remember, Judas is gone now. He's left. He's gone on to betray. He's gone on to, to do what he wants to do. He might say the right things. Jesus, Judas did a lot of things, right? He was right there with Jesus, probably teaching, helping. He was the money carrier. He was the treasurer. I mean, he had a lot. He did a lot of things. But those things proved empty, worthless. And why? Because he was not connected to the vine. He wasn't truly in Christ. You can say the right things, but if your heart is wicked, you have no hope except for repentance and faith in Christ. But what about real Christians? What about real Christians? Like, all right, that's the bad. That's those that aren't true Christians. They're nominal, whatever you want to say. That what happens to real Christians? Well, we get to see. Look at the second part of verse 2. I just made up a new word, purse, uh, in this context. Second part of verse 2. And every branch that does bear fruit, all right? So everybody that does, if you're bearing fruit, you're showing signs of regeneration, he prunes that it may 
bear more fruit. Did I read that right? Let's see. So he prunes us. Like, that, that's really great, right? I mean, everybody wants to be pruned. You know what pruning means? It means you get you like cut back. Not cut out, but you get cut back. Uh, think of surgery, removal. Like he works. He, he changes us. He prunes us. He makes things happen that maybe we don't want to happen. So, so believers, there's, there's really there's two important things I want you to see here, two greatly important implications. One, no fruit-bearing branch is exempt. Listen, so that means that, in other words, all true Christians are included. All true Christians will be pruned. And the other implication is this. There's a goal, there's a purpose in this, though, that we bear more fruit. We bear more fruit. Christian, let me tell you, every good and bad thing that happens in your life is for a reason. Every good and bad thing that happens in your life is for a reason. Pruning is hard, okay? Honestly, I don't like to be pruned. I don't want to be pruned. That's not like what I want to just go jump into. But if I look back at my life, some of my greatest, richest, deepest moments when I was just drinking from the well, the the fire hydrant of the grace of God is in times of despair. Uh, There's a man named Samuel Rutherford, an old Puritan, and He has a quote that says, in the days of affliction, when I'm in the cellars of the Lord's affliction, I look for the Lord's choicest wine. Meaning like there's a purpose. Affliction, trials, tribulations, hardships, they're hard. They're tough. I mean, failures in my life. I look back on. But man, they've they've helped me to to be able to say, like, I've tasted grace in such a beautiful way. I've tasted the kindness of the Lord. I can say, I was once lost and now I've been found. And the hardships of our life, which I could name many of them, I've been able to say, God, you were with me. You carried me through, and it it grew me. It strengthened my faith, my dependence on you. There's a long quote I want to give to you because I think it's helpful from Richard D. Phillips. And he says this, quote, The idea in pruning is to remove whatever inhibits growth. Okay? Whatever inhibits growth. He goes on. He strips away things that are spiritually detrimental, even if they are otherwise good things. Listen, I'm going to stop right there. Pause. Sometimes, right, it's good things that distract us from God's plan, from God's will. We start doing these other things. We're distracted. Those things need to be stripped away. They might be good. They might look good. He goes on, he says, he takes the knife 
to our bad habits and assails our prayerlessness by giving us things to pray about. I mean, how many times does that happen in your life? Like your, your, your prayer life is just dry. Like you are just, you know, and you're just going on about your merry way. And then something drastic happens. And it's like, shoo, 180, redirect. The Lord reminds you like, hey, you have, you have really, really gone astray. See, th- this is kind of this promise that Jesus says like, none of my sheep will be lost. Like, none of them will be lost. My, my father, he's going he's gonna to ensure, I'm going to ensure that my people will be a part of the flock. They'll, they'll come. They will come. We will stray. We will fall. There will be things in our lives, the things in relationships. Listen, young people, man, there, there's relationships in your life that the Lord's going to cut away. You're going you're to see that as you grow. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be like, man, I, I just thought they were the one. Like, we were best friends. I, I just knew they were going to be my best man at my wedding or my, my bridesmaid, my maid of honor. And, like, the relationship's done. But it's for your good if you were truly his. It will work in and through these situations. Pruning is a sign of the Father's care. It is a sign of true Christianity. It is a sign of being in the vine. You don't get pruned if you're not in the vine. Like, get that through your head. I'm talking to myself here too, right? Like, we need this. Man, we need this. One of the greatest examples, I think, in Scripture of this is uh, the Apostle Paul. And he writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And he talks about this, right, in his letter to the church at Corinth. And he's gone through a lot of different things, and he's, he's encouraging them, and he's talking to them, and he's saying, like, let me just tell you a little bit about my life. And here's what he says. He says, so to keep me from be, becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what this thorn is. There's a lot of... Uh, speculation out there, but we don't know because we're never told exactly. But he goes on, he says, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited, okay? So he's saying there's been something that's happened to me to prevent me from becoming conceited because I, I've, I've grown in some knowledge and some understanding. He's just talked about being taken up to the third heaven and all these things. And so he, he's saying like there, there's going to be some, something or something has happened to me. This is what he says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Essentially, like, I don't want this. Take it away, God. Make it stop. And here's what happens. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Y'all know this. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then in verse 10, uh, lest you say, well, that doesn't really apply here. Here's what he says. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. 
For when I am weak, then I am, say it with me, strong. I mean, here we have this beautiful example, the Apostle Paul. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul here, right? If you don't know a lot about the Apostle Paul, I encourage you to just learn more. I mean, he was beaten, left for dead. He was, la- he was whipped, and I mean, he, he was shipwrecked. He was abandoned. He was mistreated. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But what was the cause? What was the result? Christ-likeness. He grew in his understanding of Christ. He grew in his love for Christ. So I want to apply this to us here. Younger people that are here. And this is all the way from the, the youngest that can hear me. I want you to look here. Young, young people, look here. Listen to me. If you are a Christian, if you become a Christian, you will have pruning. You will be pruned. In other words, your life won't always be easy. I love you enough to tell you that. Your life is not always going to be easy. I feel like when I was a child, I I used to think like, well, if I just say the magic prayer, everything's going to be okay. So then when things got rocky in my life, I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. Bad things don't happen to Christians. That is false. You will have hardships. You will have trials, tribulations. Some of you are old enough that you already have had them. You will have things in your life that will drive you to despair. But brothers and sisters, Christ is with you. He is with you. That is a sign of the Father's care and provision in your life. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son, daughter, person whom he receives. What father, what good father doesn't discipline their children? Correction is meant to to, to redirect, to, to bring back, to restore the relationship in our home. When we discipline, we then do restoration. So we love you. We, we did this because we care. And that is the Father's good love for his children. My older saints, reflect on your pruning. Reflect. Look back. Remember all the times, the things in your life that were hard, the trials that the Lord carried you through, the sin, the indwelling sin that he's changed, the ways that he's molded you and shaped you, how it's then shaped you to bear more fruit. And here's how you continue to bear more fruit with those things is that you disciple someone younger than you and share about that pruning. We need more discipleship in the church. We need more older saints taking younger saints under their wing and saying, let me just walk this out with you. I mean, it's good. Peer-to-peer relationship is great. But listen, 
Young folk, you, you need older people in your life. You need some people that have been through some things. I know your favorite celebrity pastor or Instagram influencer or whatever, I know they're giving you all the great advice, but 90% of it's trash. Find you someone that's been through some stuff that you can do life with, that knows you. Older saints, find you someone that you can share your life with, that you can encourage, that you can disciple. That is the, the biblical model. All right, I've got to move on for time's sake here. Jesus has painted the picture, though. He's painted the picture. He's shown us the process, and now he provides us with a promise. I promise, I promise now, I'm providing you with a promise. The next two points, the last two uh, headings here are not as long. Like I said, we dropped anchor. Now we're going to pull up. We're going to set sail to the shore. Verse 3. You're like, but you're only in verse 3. I know. We're going to get through it. Already, he says, you are clean. Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Stop here. Now, this means that Jesus is teaching his, his word, okay? That which he has said, that's what our, that which he has done has taken hold of these followers. Remember, they are sticking to him, okay? They're, they're, these are the, the ones that are still there. Remember, I, I just said Judas is left now. But those that are left are shown to be a part of the true vine, Jesus himself. And then he gives us these four promises for those that abide in Christ. We're going to go really quickly through these, okay? This is instructive. So he's instructing those that are still his here. First thing we need to know is what does abide mean? So what does it mean to abide? What does this word mean? Here's what it means. It means to stay with. It means to remain in. It implies a constant remaining or continuing in one spot or place. Like, like we're with Jesus. In other words, we could say it's a deeply devoted relationship with Christ. It's a commitment to God and God's people, the church, the bride of Christ. So we want to aim to treasure and trust Christ. We aim to obey and serve Christ out of love for Christ. Okay, so abiding means to be with, to aim. We want to treasure Christ, to be with him, remain in him. So what happens when this is our goal? One, we see Christ is with those who abide in him. Christ is with those who abide in him. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, just a couple of quick things we need to note here. Okay, one, we see there's mutual indwelling here. Christians are in Christ. Okay, that's, that's the phrase used for Christians more often than any other phrase in the New Testament. We are in Christ. That means we are protected. But also, he is in us, okay, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We looked at this the last couple of weeks. And that means that we are producing. What are we producing? The fruit of the Spirit. So we're protected because we are in Christ. We are producing because Christ is in us, all right? So I want you to just see this mutual indwelling here. He's, he's working in us, but we are in him. 
Second, we see that abiding in Christ produces fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus says here, whoever abides in him will bear fruit. So Christian, do you want to bear fruit? Yes, you do. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. This is not an option. It's not an elective. It's not extracurricular. It's not just something we get an option to do. It says you will bear fruit if you abide in him. What does he say? What's the, the contrast there? Apart from the vine, what can you do? Look at the text. Nothing. You know what nothing means? Nothing. Yep, nothing. Like, but the problem is, like, we can do things, right? What he means here is that nothing of spiritual value. Like, if we're doing things on our own, if we're trying to muster up good works, and we're, we're trying to muster up uh, whatever spiritual activity, if it's not birthed in abiding in Christ, if we're not connected to the vine here, it's worthless, pointless. You need to abide in Christ. Three, we see that rejecting Christ or not abiding, to, to keep that, produces destruction. He says in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, they're then thrown into the fire and burned. Now listen, this speaks of those who are the false professors. Ones that say with their mouth, I'm a Christian. Of course I'm a Christian. But their lives show no fruit. The nominal Christian. The one who talks a good game, but there's no true commitment to Christ. Christianity is kind of convenient for them. It's kind of their timeline, not God's. And if you're a non-believer in this room, let me just point this out. This should be a staggering passage for you. I mean, it should be like a, like a freight train. It just, just knocks you upside the head and says, like, what am I doing? Because this clearly says they will be gathered, they'll be thrown into the fire. In Mark chapter 9, when speaking of hell, Jesus says it is a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, meaning it's everlasting torment. Everlasting torment. The worm doesn't die. The fire is unquenchable. There's no annihilation. Scripture does not speak of that. There's no universal salvation. Scripture does not speak of that. What we see is that there is a separation. The sheep and the goats. So my question for you is, which are you? Are you connected to the vine? 
Are you a branch that will be gathered? Take this warning. Take this period of of grace that the Lord would offer you to repent and believe in Jesus. Four, for Christians, abiding in Christ means our prayers will be answered. Our prayers will be answered. He says in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, clarification, this isn't a blank check. It just whatever we ask for, God's going to do it. Like, it doesn't matter. That's what it says, right? Ask whatever you wish, it will be done. We got to look at the, the qualifications here. What are the prerequisites? Well, it's abiding in Christ. And his word abides in you. Or we could say, we know God's word. We, we pray according to God's word. It means that when we abide in Christ, we are in a close relationship with him. We we study his word, which is the the best way to be close to him and to learn more about him through his written word. What happens then? We start to pray according to his will. We start to learn more about his will. We start to learn more about what it means to be a a Christian. What is your desire, Lord? And then we pray accordingly. We say, not our will, but your will. Make me what you want me to be, O God. We, We start to pray the prayers like, prune me, Lord. Prune me for your glory. See, things change when we are in Christ. It changes us, which changes our prayers. And because of this, our prayers are then answered. Our prayers are answered. And it's not always in our timing, not always the way in which we want them to be answered. Because oftentimes, we talked about this before, we pray the wrong thing. We're praying for this, but Lord's like, no, I'm doing that changing you, not the situation. So we've seen the picture, the process, and promises. And when closing, we're going to look quickly at the purpose. So all of this, like theology is, is great, right? I mean, we, we need to learn more about God. We need to understand. Uh, we're our big proponent of doctrine and right understanding of God. But it is a purpose in this. It should drive us to something. There's a goal in this. And there's just three purposes here that Jesus gives us of abiding in Christ. One we see in verse 8, and that is to glorify God. To glorify God. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Friend, do you want to glorify God? If you're a Christian, the answer should be a resounding yes. I want, to, I want to glorify you, God. The answer is simple. Abide in Christ. See, God doesn't need you to do something spectacular. We, we live in this age where we, we, we feel as if our worth is in, like, how we perform. We, we want to see, like, the great thing. We want, to, we want to do something big for God. 
Let me just encourage you. Okay? God may use you to do something big for him. Absolutely. But God doesn't need you to do anything for him. God is perfectly okay with being God by himself. What he wants you to do is faithful, joyful obedience. Abide in Christ. See, it's easier to jump on an airplane and go to Africa and spend two weeks than it is to stay consistent in your waking up early and reading your Bible for two weeks, isn't it? Yep, it is. It's a lot easier to do these great things sometimes than it is to just be consistent in our daily devotion. The mundane, the ins and outs of the normal, everyday world. See, that's the Christian life. Just doing things faithfully. Being faithful with what's in your hand. Not looking over here to what hasn't happened yet or what you hope happens and neglecting this. It's, it's just, I'm going to be right here. Let's take one day at a time. What is our life but a vapor? We're not promised tomorrow. Be faithful with what's in your hand. Abide in Christ. Pray. Joyful obedience. If we want to glorify God, let us be people who bear the fruit of abiding in Christ. Second, we see that one of the purposes is that we will know the love of God. We see this in verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. We're going to talk about that statement in a moment. I mean, that is just mind-blowing there. He says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I mean, what a monumental verse there. It says, first, abiding in Christ produces obedience to his commands. And then he says, if, if we do this, implication here, we will experience the love of Christ in the way that God the Father loves God the Son. So Jesus says, I'm going to love you, my people, the way that God the Father loves me. And we're talking about like Trinitarian, perfected love here. Love that none of us have ever been able to do horizontally. And this is only a love that can be given by Christ. This is only a love that can be found in a relationship with Jesus. You will not get this anywhere else. Christian, Jesus loves you. I, the simple song, you know, Jesus loves me. What a simple song it is, but what a great reminder. Like he loves me, not because I'm awesome, because I'm clearly not, because his love is perfect, because he's paid the penalty of my sin. He's now robed me in righteousness. And so because of that, I obey him. We love because he first loved us. It's this kind of connection here. J.C. Ryle says, Christ, free and continued and mighty love should be the home and abiding place 
of a believer's soul. Like that should be your home, Christian. When you're struggling, when you're failing to obey, like I just don't have it in me to obey God today. Ah, Jesus loves me. Ah, loves me. He died for me. I mean, we, we look to the cross. We say, Jesus, like, whatever, you, you gave it all. Surely I can give you this weak life of mine. And close with this third statement as it punctuates all that has been said in this discourse. And third, the third purpose is to have the joy of God. Jesus clearly says here in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that. I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So just to kind of bookend this with how we started. Jesus says here, if you want joy, if you want true, lasting joy, abide in me. Abide in me. He's the only sustainable source. The world's joy is fleeting, friend. It will not last. Let me encourage you, be tethered, be anchored in Christ. Man, look to Christ. Develop a deeper longing for Christ. If you don't have that, pray for that. Learn more about Jesus. Read his word. Pray. Worship him. Delight in him. And he says, his joy, his joy may be found in you. Like, this is what he wants for us. Like, he, he wants us to be joyful people. He wants us to have a joy that is serious. We see the world. We understand there's a seriousness that we must have. Not happy clappy all the time and just, you know, wearing masks and just pretending like everything's okay. Yay, yay. No, life is tough. But we have Christ. We have Christ. Hebrews 12, 2, the writer of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus. Here's what we do. We, we look to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith. Why? Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And where is he at now? He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And brother and sister, if you are his, you will reign eternally with him. Praise be to God. What a savior. What a savior. This is the joy we can have, brothers and sisters. We don't have to focus in on what we see right now. We can have the eternal joy of Christ. And it's all because of him. All because of him. So let me just encourage you. Let me exhort you. Abide in Christ. Regardless of 
Man, what you feel, your feelings are not God. Christ is king. The unfailing, the all-loving ruler of this world and all that ever will be. Trust in him. We had a we had an elder day uh, yesterday, just a day of refresh, and we had a speaker come in, and uh, he was sharing. Uh, he's been walking with the Lord for um, about 50 years and pastored for 30, and he was just sharing uh, some of his heroes of the faith. And he mentioned a man that it just stuck with me that uh, he, I'm trying not to get emotional here, but he, he said that of this man, that the reason why he just really helped him in his life is because he had asked the man because he just saw so much joy in his life. And the man was, I think, 92 years old. And he asked the man, he said, how do you have so much joy? And, and, and why should I trust in Jesus? And he said, he looked at him and he said, he's been faithful to me for 92 years. You can trust him. And I just thought, like, what a testimony. So, brother and sister, you can trust him. Abide in them. Rest. He's got you. Oh, God, we will never find lasting joy anywhere else. Oh, but oh, are we so quick to run to the lesser things. We confess that we often, we choose the lesser and even knowing what it will bring. And we need your help. We want to be people of the spirit, not of the flesh. We wrestle. We want to fight. We want to make war on indwelling sin. But we can only do that with your help. Will you help us, God? We ask that you would work in and through this congregation, that we would be salt and light in this community and beyond. May we be a people that abide the everlasting hope of Jesus.